and welcome to the Clever Tech podcast, Creating Useful People. I'm Jodie Cook, and today I'm joined by Sarah Davies, MBE. Sarah is the founder and creative director of Crafters Companion, which designs, manufactures, and sells its craft-related products to customers across 40 countries and employs more than 200 people worldwide. Sarah established Crafters Companion while studying at York University. Crafters Companion experiences crazy levels of export sales and has proudly collected over 25 awards for both the company's achievements and for Sarah's accomplishments as an entrepreneur. In 2016, Sarah was presented with an MBE in Her Majesty's Birthday Honours list for services to the economy. She's a keen champion of women in business, mentoring, and the northeast of England. And most recently, Sarah was named as the youngest entrepreneur to join BBC Two's Dragon's Den. Sarah, I'm so excited to have you here. Huge welcome. Wow, what an introduction, Jordi. That was uh, that was fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to kick straight off with my first question, which is, when you were growing up, what did your parents do for work? I know they always talk about our entrepreneurs born or made or developed or whatever it is. And I think I'm one of those that covers everything. So both of my parents were entrepreneurs. Although I think we probably wouldn't have used the entrepreneur word when we were younger because it felt so big and fancy and we were just regular people from a little pit village in the north of England. So I guess I always would have said my mum and dad had their own businesses, but my dad is a true, true entrepreneur in the most unbelievable sense of the word. My dad has done literally everything. Every year or whatever, he'd have a new idea for a business and he'd be starting this and he did everything from double glazing sales to, I remember he decided he was going to run a bike shop one day and we'd be going to the car boot sale every Sunday and buying bikes and he would pay me and my sister 20 pence a wheel to get all the rust off and he would paint them and then I had my grandma selling them in a, a little bike shop he set up and literally he did everything and the main business that, that I guess my mum and dad had was when they had me my dad set up a wallpaper and paint shop and he set it up for my mum and her mum to run together so they could both work part-time whilst my mum obviously raised me and it was great because at the time my dad had a little transport company and they used to deliver wallpaper so he would deliver wallpaper for this big wallpaper company. He started buying all of their slight seconds, ended up setting up my mum a little shop. And then interestingly, my mum and my nana built that business to become our main family business. And then all my dad's little side hustles all segregated around that. So as I was growing up, I always remember my dad doing a bit of all sorts, but they had this wallpaper and paint shop. And then my dad also had the transport company for a lot of years. So that was the mainstay through my childhood, really. So apart from being employed at 20p per wheel, do you remember being quite involved and knowing a lot about what was going on? Yeah, I mean, me and my sister, we literally, we just did everything. I think I always say to people that being an entrepreneur or running your own business, it's not a job, it's a way of life. And I guess I grew up in that family not knowing anything different. So we would have decorators come and knock on our door at 10 o'clock at night because they were going off to do a job the next morning and my mum would literally get up go over the shop open the shop up mix them a tin of paint or my dad would just you know at all hours we would just be living sleep and breathing the business and because you you always know that I can't tell you I started work when I was a certain age or whatever I just always remember helping my mum in the shop helping my dad with the various businesses we were always busy doing something how in-depth did it go? Did you know like about the profit and loss and the turnover and different like difficulties or like how intertwined were you with the ins and outs of the whole business? Yeah, I would say when I was really young, I just used to help. 
literally just help out with anything. However, when we were choosing our, our options at GCSE level, I remember deciding I would study business studies. And it's funny because up till that point, if you'd asked me what I wanted to be when I was older, I always said a teacher. I found my teachers at school really inspirational. And I, I loved the thought of being a teacher like them. So history was my favorite subject. So I always said I'd like to be a history teacher. Okay. And it was only because I was getting a bit more involved with the business that I thought I'll study GCSE business studies as well. And I remember all my other subjects, I wasn't probably wasn't the brains of Britain. I was above average. I worked hard, but it's not like I was naturally incredibly bright. And I used to have to work hard to get decent-ish results in my exams. But with business, it just always felt quite natural. Everything just felt like common sense to me. So I would more and more often be coming home and talking about the real-world examples that we'd done in business with my dad, for example. And he'd, he'd help me lay that back to what was going on in their business and started sharing with me examples of like you say, the finances and the behind the scenes stuff that I, would, I wouldn't I would ordinarily have been exposed to. So it was probably from the age of about 15, I started getting a little bit more involved with all that side of it. So apart from work just being like, it's not just a job, it's like a way of life. What was your like overall impression of work as it could look like in your future? I loved it. And I, I saw how hard my mum and dad worked the hard work, the hours, the commitment they had to put in never frightened me. But I loved that what they were doing was they were building something and it was really exciting and every day was different. And I also loved that we were quite a traditional setup in that my dad would go out to work a lot. And like I said, my mum had the, what was at the time, the smaller business so she could manage work and, and life balance. She had two young kids growing up. And so my mum was always the one that would walk me to school on the morning, be the helper mum at the sports day, you know, be on the PTA, that sort of thing. Whereas I remember my dad being away a lot with work, especially with having the transport company. But I just remember thinking, when I grow up, I want to do this as well. I want this lifestyle. I'm not frightened of the hard work. And I want to be able to have the life with my kids that I saw my mum having with me and my sister. And that's really what drove me to want to set up my own business. And I always knew, I would say from 17, 18... I realized that actually I didn't want to be a history teacher anymore. I wanted to be in business. I just had no idea what that business would ever be. And then so you went to study business at the University of York and then Mm -hmm. ended up leaving university with a business that had a half a million turnover. And that was Crafter's Companion. Yeah. Yeah, I went off because I I really enjoyed business studies at at GTC and then at A-level. I had a phenomenal teacher, really inspired me to want to to go out and learn more. So I thought I'll probably end up taking over my mum's wallpaper and paint shop. So I better go to university and learn how to do it. Both of my parents had not gone to university in, in the traditional way after leaving school their families just couldn't have afforded it. So my mum and dad always saved. I think they perceived that this is how they needed to do better for their family. They needed to put us through university. So it was never in question that I was going to go to uni. And I just felt like I really should study business so that I could bring back all of that learning into the family business. Because my mum actually went and did a, a degree later in life, I think to prove to herself and the rest of the family that she could do that. But she did it in English literature. So I went off and, and thought I'll study management and be able to bring that learning back to the family business. So I did. And it was one of these four-year courses where you do a year working in industry. 
And in that year, I'll be really honest, I'm a full-on country bumpkin. So whereas <laughs> most of the students went down to London to go and work for bigger companies or whatever, I didn't want to leave the Northeast. And so I organized my own placement with like a friend of a friend of a family or whatever. And, and I went to work for this tiny little craft company. And I mean, they, they had less than a couple of hundred thousand turnover, you know, a handful of staff. And I went to work there in the summer one year and loved it. So they said they would make a placement for me if I wanted to come and do my year's work placement there. And it felt important to have different relevant experience I could then bring back to our family business. So I went off and did that year that year working. And, you know, it was just, it was eye-opening. It opened my eyes to an industry that I didn't know existed in, in the craft industry. And also it gave me a chance to practice everything I'd learned at university in a real world setting, but on a business that, that wasn't the one that I knew inside out, back to front. Mm-hmm. So I remember trying to put all these processes in place with some financial management. And then I recosted all their products using the, the product cost and strategies we'd learned in a module. And I set off on a new marketing strategy. Everything was very textbook. And it was really that, that learning of putting the learning into reality and, and learning what you can't really learn out of a textbook. So I worked for that little company for the year and I absolutely loved it. And I had a head full of magic and a ton of ideas for the industry. And I remember speaking to the woman that owned the business and saying, oh, well, I'm going back to university next year. And, and then when I graduate, I'll take over the wallpaper shop. And I just wondered if I could maybe keep working part time or did you want my ideas and you could implement them in your business? And she really wasn't interested. It was her business. And in her eyes, she was the artist. She was the crafter. I was just a management student. So she was the specialist in her field and I was just the business studies person. So she she didn't want to move forward with, with my ideas. And I felt like, you know, these are good ideas. Yeah. So I ended up setting up this company over the summer before I went back into my last year at university. I'm one of these people that doesn't do things by halves. And if I'm doing it, we're doing it yesterday. As you find with a lot of entrepreneurs. So I didn't want to wait till I graduated to have a, a little bit of a tinker about in the craft industry. I was going to start it while I was going back into my last year at uni. And so I ended up starting the business. Our first product was an idea called the Enveloper. And I pitched the shopping channel with it and they loved it. And I kind of built the business up from there. And by the time I graduated, ready to move home the following May, June time, my business was actually bigger than the family wallpaper and paint shop that my mum and dad had been building up for 25 years. And so I came home and my dad was like, well, I guess I guess we're doing crafts and kid. And he literally <laughs> made me a little office. It was just me. My best friend's mum used to come and do a couple of hours a day work for me. And the business kind of just all started from there. And I love the story of the enveloper and <laughs> that in your first 10 minutes of taking it on shopping TV, you sold 1,500 units. Yep. I certainly did. So how? Talk me through that experience because, I mean, most people are terrified of public speaking, going on TV, selling, all the things that that involved, and you somehow managed to go crazy and secure so many different orders. So talk me through that process. Like, Take us back there. I felt like I totally breezed over the enveloper story then, didn't I? (laughs) Totally saw myself short on that one. I'm not going to let you be humble on this because there's so much amazing (laughs) stuff to talk about. You've got to remember, it's not like I was an avid card maker and I just come up with a product that I loved. When I worked for that company that year, I went out up and down the country to loads of consumer shows, selling products for the company I worked for to crafters. And the idea for the enveloper was born out of essentially blood, sweat and tears in market research, just 
not even realising I was doing market research. Just all these crafters constantly asking me about envelopes. And I thought, why has nobody ever developed a product for this? So because I developed the product, me and my dad did it. My dad's the engineer. I was the crafter coming at it. Because we developed it, I knew it was the best thing since sliced bread. And I, and I believed that with literally, and I still do with my heart and soul. For a card maker, this product is literally revolutionary. And because I know that, I just needed to get the message out and tell people that. And I thought, well, what better way than on TV? Because surely you're going to reach the biggest audience. And at the time, that shopping channel, Ideal World it was, used to do craft chores once a week. And they used to do card making most of the time. And in business, I always try and build win-win relationships so that the person at the other end really can't say no to you. So I remember going down and speaking to the buyer and saying, look, I've, I've got this product How's about next time you do a show with card making on, I'll come on, I'll do five minutes at the end, whatever card the demonstrator's made, I'll make an envelope to put it in. You've got a great upsell, $14.99, and we, we should sell hundreds of these things. And clearly I did a great sales job on the buyer because yeah. next thing I know she was putting an order in for 8,000 of them. And that was the day I was going to come down and just on the show, was going to demonstrate my envelopes. And hopefully everybody who bought a card making kit that day would also buy one of my envelopers. And do you know what they did? And some, we sold thousands. We sold 8,000 in that first 24 hours from when it launched. Just going go doing little demonstrations every 10, 15 minutes in the card making hours they did. And TV shopping is just an unbelievable way. If you've got a great product that really does genuinely solve a problem, but needs to be demonstrated. TV shopping is absolutely the best way to get the message out because it's so difficult. My enveloper, we really don't sell many off the shelves in specialist craft stores because you saw it hanging on the shelf. It just looks like a really complicated board with a load of lines on. As soon as you show somebody it, and I only need two or three minutes to show them, you can see the light bulb go off behind their eyes when they just think, oh my life, this is just going to make things so much easier. And that's what the that's what TV gave me. It gave me that platform to demonstrate that product. And because I knew it was so good, I think that passion and enthusiasm and belief just comes oozing out of my every pore when I'm on TV. And then as a viewer, you can't help but get wrapped up in what I'm demonstrating and what I'm doing. And if you are a card maker and you see that and the passion and the enthusiasm mixed with seeing something that is literally going to make your life a little bit easier, fourteen ninety nine, it was an easy sell. Yeah. So the passion and the enthusiasm and everything that you were so excited about doing in that slot obviously shone through. But did you always have the, I guess, like the performer side? Like, did that come from anything when you were growing up? No, honestly, I was one of the shyest kids. People don't believe me when I say it now. It's funny because at school, I wasn't in the popular crowd, but I wasn't in the geeky crowd. I was kind of in that like that halfway house as it was. And I just think I, I never wanted to put myself forward for things. I really didn't have a lot of self-confidence in a lot of things, and which is the opposite to kind of like the public me that a lot of people see now. And I think being at the front of the business, and anybody who's running a small business will know this, when you first start, it's just you. So you have to be everything from the person who answers the telephone to the one that does the sales calls to the one that cleans the toilet. When it's just you, you literally have to do everything. So I had to learn to have that persona. And the more I did it and the more successful I was at it, the more confident I was in myself. And I look back at that young girl at school and I think there's so many things I wish I could tell her that you can go on and, and do this. 
And I just think it would have made my childhood so much easier. And I see it now, you know, in my five-year-old, he's just so similar to what I was at that age. And I feel like, oh, I don't want him to go through all them years of self-doubt and not wanting to put himself forwards when I know he'll be great at the end of it. That's really cool. So you're five-year-old now then. Are you getting him involved in your business and talking to him about all the processes and things like your parents did with you? Oh, totally. Do you know what? My kid's sister has actually now taken over that family wallpaper and paint shop. So she has the wallpaper shop. And my mum and dad live next door because we literally always lived on site. So it's great. The days that my kids go to my mum and dad, they go there one day a week. Well, after school, it is now they're a bit older. And they go around to Auntie Lella's shop, they call it. They could never pronounce Helen when she was younger. So they go to Auntie Lella's shop and Auntie Lella gives them 50p for going and dusting all the tops of the tins of paint off, just like my dad used to do with me all them years ago, except uh, inflation. It's a lot more than I used to get paid, I can tell you. And it's great because they can have all the same experiences in the same business that I did. A couple of years' time and I'll be able to take them down our warehouse and really get them involved with our business, which is obviously on a much bigger scale now. But I think it's so important to instill that into them at such a young age and our Oliver's got like an old an old biscuit tin with a little slot cut in the top and it says Oliver's wages on the side and uh-huh. you know every time he does really good me dad or me sister give him a give him some pennies to put in his pot and he keeps saving up for things I mean he's got no understanding of how much money's there or, or whatever I'll, I'll say I want something and say I'll buy that for you mummy I'll buy it with my wages and I think god love him you really don't know that you've only got about eight pound twenty in there son do you not but it's lovely to see that he's, he's already getting those ideas of I've got to work to earn that money to be able to do something with it mm-hmm. so earlier you mentioned that you had a specific teacher that really inspired you yes I did who was that Mr Green that he was called and I remember he was one of those, he was one of those teachers. He was just really quiet, very unassuming, but always just pushed me that little bit harder in the lessons and, and made me have that belief in myself. And I always remember when I was at university and, and I was just always driven to want to do better. For me, I wanted to get the highest mark on this course and then I wanted to be the, you know, have the highest student mark at the end of the year or I mean by the time I graduated I was the highest achieving student in the management school and I just remember all the time thinking as soon as I graduate I'm going to take that picture in for him and and just write on the back thank you for everything you did that got me here because I think that the influence that he had on my life he must teach thousands of kids and would never would never appreciate really just the value of what he gave me every day as it was and I still now to this day keep in touch with him just on Facebook gotta love Facebook for that sort of stuff I just think it's so important the impact these people have on on kids yeah definitely so if a lot of the success and like all the achievements that you've experienced now is down to growing up and having teachers that inspired you and also being around business all the time could you have replicated the success and all these achievements without having that upbringing? Like, was there anything else outside of learning about your parents' business that inspired that different way of thinking? I think you're constantly learning all the time. And I think the more life experiences I have, the, the more I learn. And I always say, you know, my, my dad in particular, both my parents, but my dad in particular, was, was a huge influence on me as a budding entrepreneur or whatever, up till the age of about 15. And when I was 15, I also met my husband. Now, my husband is, he's very bright. He's also one of the ones that definitely won't have been in the popular crowd at school. 
But I remember, you know, my dad was always really proud of me at school, that I did okay, that I did well in my exams. Whereas when I met Simon, I think he could always see that I could do a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And he used to push me that little bit harder than I think my parents would ever have pushed me. They were just thrilled with how I was doing. He was pleased, but could see I could do better. And he was four years older than me. So he had that bit of experience. And I remember, you'll laugh, when we were first dating, so I, he's a mathematician. And I remember doing my, my GCSEs and then my A-levels. And I remember he would be at university and, and he would email me. And he'd say, right, I'll come round tonight after I finish uni or whatever. But you have to do this past paper before I get there. And then I'll mark it. And if you do okay, we'll have the rest of the night off, like watch a movie or whatever you do when you're teenagers dating or whatever. He says, but if you don't, then I'm going to leave you with another one and I'm going to go home. (laughs) And literally, I think just having that having that push and that drive. I remember getting my GCSE results and my, my dad was thrilled. I'd got one A staff, a few A's, a few B's, and my dad was really thrilled. And I can remember looking sheepishly at Simon because I knew I should have worked a little bit harder and done a little bit better. And I think that just, when I came to do my A-levels, that just gave me that more of a push. And then I just, from then on, I just kept pushing myself that little bit harder all the time. And I think that's really instilled something in me in, in later life. So it just shows you it's, it's the influence various people have on you. And I always joke and say now I'm, I'm kind of a, a product of my dad and, and Simon. Not everyone would necessarily be receptive to that. I can, I can imagine, I don't know, some people growing up, they get pushed by, by their parents, teachers, boyfriends, anyone, and they just go, oh, no, I'm not doing that. So how do you create someone who's receptive to that at the same time? Because that's the bit that makes the difference. The fact that you said, okay, yeah, I'll play along with your game and I will do yeah, this. Yeah. Looking at it, I think he could just see how to make me the best version of me. And I remember going for dinner years ago, and this is when I think I was pregnant with my second, my first one was just two. And we went for dinner with some other business people who, very successful business people who had teenage kids. And one of them was studying for their GCSEs. And I remember we were all chatting around dinner and and it was uh, GCSE time and she was wanting to go and go horse riding at the weekend as well and do a competition. And her her mum and dad had said no because you need to stay in and study. And I remember just we had a big long conversation about it in the car on the way home. And Simon's a keen cricketer. And of course, cricket season was always right in the middle of exam season. And he said, I never missed a match. Didn't matter if I had a big exam the next day. I never missed a match. And I worked on the basis of if I didn't know it the night before, I wouldn't know it. (laughs) You know, I should have learned it before then. And his parents never stopped him doing what was right. You know, they always, they pushed him to be the best he could, but not past the point that he would push himself. And we kind of discussed there and then and agreed that we were going to be the same with our kids. I think they have so much pressure on them from every angle these days. And you have to decide for yourself. And for me, it was that whole thing when I was 16, 17. And it was not how much my parents pushed me. It was when I started pushing myself. And I think you've just got to let kids find find that in them themselves. So have you got any strategies for doing that now? I don't know, but I can tell you that's something that I'm going to lose a lot of sleep over over the next few years. I look <laughs> at them kids and I think... I used to worry about running a business and running a 40 odd million pound business with a couple hundred staff is nothing compared to bringing up two little toddlers. I mean, it's just just knowing that how they turn out in later life is going to be a direct result of what I do now and how to know how to do the best for them. And like I said, I, I look back at what an impact my parents, my family have had on, on the person I've become and think that's the biggest job and the biggest responsibility I've got now going through that with those two boys. 
Yeah, because you don't get the instant feedback that you might do with like a good marketing campaign or going on shopping TV. It's like you can't, it's all on a time delay. Yep, absolutely. How do you define success now? I keep readjusting my goals and where I want to get to and what I want to be. And it's generally, I remember when I first started in the industry, there was a company in our industry that I perceived as being the most successful. They weren't necessarily the biggest, but they were the one that everybody spoke fondly about, you know, other staff would want to work for. They were, in my head, they were the best. And I just wanted to be like them. And then I remember as we got to that, then I started doing work on the shopping channels and there was a woman that used to present on the shopping channels and she was known as like the queen of shopping TV for crafts. And I just remember thinking, I want to be as good at selling as what she is. I want all the shopping channels to want me to be on their channel like they all want her to be on there now. And so I had my my sights set on being like her. And then I remember when I, I tinkered with investing a little bit, you know, a few years into the business, I started getting involved in other businesses and I came across a couple of other female high net worth individuals that did some investing. And I, I used to analyze what I thought about them and what I thought made them successful, great investors. And I was aspiring to be like that. And all my life I keep, it's before I get to one milestone, I'm setting my sights on the next. It's the case of I look at somebody else or something else and I think, you're really, really good at that. I want to be there. And the bigger we get, the harder it gets, actually, because I'd like to think now, actually, we're the most successful company in our industry over here in the UK, and we're the one that people want to come and work for and other companies want to do business with. And So now it's a case of how do I take that onto a global platform? How do I achieve what I've achieved here, but over in America, for example? But it's always setting that next milestone of, of what I want to do. And there's no way to measure it, really. It's just a feeling. And I always think that success is like a drug. You know, the more you get of it, the more you want of it. And it's really hard. You know, the the bigger you get and the more successful you become, the harder it is to feed that addiction. But the more rewarding it is as you keep feeding it. So success for a little while was like a, it was like a healthy comparison because it wasn't like there was any envy involved. It was like, I want to be more like them. How do I do that? Yeah. And then you kept changing the goalpost when you felt like you'd achieved a certain level. Yeah. And it's not about, because it's great. For me, it's never been about taking market share off a competitor or making more turnover or more profit than what somebody else does. It's just been about, there's that great company over there or that great entrepreneur there. And why do I think they're great? And how do I be more like them? And, And measuring it that way, I suppose. Yeah, I like that. There's a fitness brand that I follow and it's called Strong Lola. And it's because the girl who invented it, she met someone once called Lola, who she just thought was so confident and so like amazing that she just wanted to be reminded of her all the time so that she could channel her behavior and everything that she did. And I love that if you feel like you want to improve in something, you can look at someone else who you feel has got it. And then you can go, yep, I'm just going to channel them for when I'm on stage or for when I'm in business or for something, you just become that person. I like that way of planning for goals. Absolutely. And you know what? If you if you get there and you are that person that is fantastic at everything and brilliant at everything else, well I tell you what, I've got to meet one of them people. I meet <laughs> yeah. a lot of people who think they are there and <laughs> but I'm yet to meet someone who is actually all of that. Yeah, because yeah. you've you, never you'll, completed you'll never it. <laughs> nope. You'll you'll never get there, you'll never stop learning, and you'll never stop developing. So when times do get tough, as they do in every single entrepreneur's journey, how do you keep going? Have you got any mantras or phrases or people that you turn to for advice? 
I think a couple of things is, for, for me, you know, I've got 200 staff, which means 200 mortgages get paid as a result of the decisions I make or, or what I do every day. So if there's a tough day, I can't just crawl under a rock and hope it's all going to get better because it's not. You know, it's down to me to make it get better. But I've just found you know, I, I'm a really I'm a really extroverted person. I'm a really positive person. And I've learned to surround myself with other people, predominantly entrepreneurs, I must say, that are like that. And so anytime you're feeling a bit of a downer, you've just got to spend time with other people who are like you, who are just going to make you feel great. And I find, you know, I always know the answer to everything. Even when I feel like I don't, I know that I can work through it and I will get there in the end. And sometimes I just need to hang around with other people who have that same mindset just to remind myself of it and just take a step back, a bit of a deep breath, and I'll find the path through eventually when I need to. So we mentioned earlier that if you'd have seen your former self what you'd have said to them and how you would have told them that everything would be okay. What, like, what's the other advice that you'd give to your former self in preparation for who they were going to become? I think for me, really, it is just about having that, that self-confidence and belief. And it's, I've done a lot of leadership coaching recently. And it's funny because the coach, she keeps having the same conversations with me. And she says, you know this stuff, Sarah. You know, I'll ask her the answer to something and she won't She won't tell me the answer. She'll make me go and find it myself because she knows that I know it deep down inside. I just, I, I felt like I needed to be taught a load of theories to justify that what my gut feeling said was the right thing was actually the right thing because I didn't have the confidence yet to believe my gut feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the more I go down this path, the more I have that, that self-belief. And, and so the quicker I get at things and... I think the difficulty is to the outside world, they just see really confident, outgoing me. They don't see the me that I'm battling within my head all of the time to give that really confident, outgoing perception. Mm-hmm. And I think at school, I look back and I, I always remember my dad saying to me, he would break his heart every morning because the school bus stop was right opposite our, our house. And so he'd see me go over and stand on the bus stop and everybody else was chit-chatting with their friends and I used to stand on my own on the bus stop every morning for all those years. And, and don't get me wrong, it's not that I didn't have any friends. You know, when I got to school, I'd meet up with my other friends. But for whatever reason, the kids that got on the bus at my stop were not people I was friends with. And I wasn't confident enough to mm-hmm. go and chit-chat with them. And kids are cruel. They don't think, oh, there's someone standing on their own. We'll go and talk to them. Mm-hmm. I just wish I'd had that confidence. And I remember it stays with you. When I had when I had our Oliver, my first son, and I started going to all the baby groups, I didn't have the confidence to go out, take myself off to a baby group on my own. Despite the fact that you see me as this big outgoing person, I latched on to one of the other mums that I'd met at my NCT group, and I just literally went wherever she did. But then when I was at that group, I remember I would see other people who were there on their own. It would remind me of little me on the bus stop. And I would go out of my way to go and chat to them and bring them into our group and talk with us because I didn't want them to have that experience I'd had there. Yet still, at 30-year-old, you know, going to these baby groups, I didn't have the confidence. I still did not turn up at one of them groups on my own. Um, So I'd like to think at 35 now, I was getting a little bit better and I would do some of this stuff. Yeah, it's just like always being the one to just go first. Just assume that everyone yeah. feels roughly the same and no one wants to make yeah. the first make the first move to say hi and then just going and being the first one who does it. Because it doesn't matter, does it? No one remembers who started the conversation. No. Exactly. 
So lots of our listeners are parents and teachers and educators and people who are raising raising kids who they want to be like happy, confident, resourceful people, but they might not be able to get them involved in like their own business or, or something like that. How would you replicate that like for kids growing up without entrepreneur parents how could they have those same experiences and still get all that really great stuff that you experienced for me it's about instilling the can-do attitude but at the same time kind of tempering that a little bit I do worry sometimes that we grow up in a society where kids are told they can do anything and you ask somebody a seven-year-old what do you want to be when you're older well I want to be a professional footballer or I want to be a singer it's managing that against the reality. So for me, I knew that I wanted to run my own business, but I had a bit of a taste of what that would entail and the hard work that would go into that. And one thing I learned with business is the harder you work, the more you succeed. It's not like me. I mean, I can't sing for toffee. doesn't matter how much I practice. I'm never, ever going to be good enough to get on the X Factor. But nobody's telling me I can be good enough to go on the X Factor. Whereas with business, it's not like that. The harder I try, the more work I put in, the more successful I am. And that works for everyone, whether it's just, you know, if you're just running a, a small lifestyle business as a one-man band or you're going to build a, a multinational, multi-million pound company. But it is that whole, I think my parents instilled in me that that belief that I could go on and do anything, I could conquer anything, and there's no reason I couldn't be as successful as that other company I was aspiring to be like or that other lady on the TV I wanted to be like and but I just, I knew that to get there, I had to just work really, really, really hard at it. And I think not being frightened of that hard work was probably what set me up in life, really. Mm-hmm. You can't be the noun without doing the verb. Like you can't be a singer without singing. You can't be a dancer without dancing. You can't be like anything without doing the actual craft that yep. goes towards it. So it's almost no point in saying, oh, I want to be a footballer when I grow up, if you don't even play football now, because it's like yep. you're not making the steps to get there. Yeah. And the thing is, they see the commercial side of all the wonderful life that these footballers have. They don't see the hours and hours and hours of training and what they've had to give up in their lives to go and do all of this training to get where they've got to. I think that's just the whole, you know, they, they romance these things beyond belief and don't actually show sometimes the reality of it. So it's like instilling someone with the confidence and the belief that they can do anything they want. But also you have to take the steps to get there. It's not just going to happen on its own. That's it. So, so many people say to me, especially I have a lot of young mums who come up and they say, oh, this is, it must be wonderful having your own business and fitting the business around the family. I'd love to do that. I'd like to do X, Y and Z. And, and then they ask me, you know, do you think I should do it? And, and actually, as awful as it sounds, nine times out of ten, they're not the right sort of people that can do it because they, they want to go into it with the wrong motivation. They think it's going to be easy. They think it's easier than working. It's going to be less taxing on them and they only see the nice side of it. It's like me, you're in the media, you see the nice side. They don't see the the nights that I have to creep out sobbing because I've had to leave the kids again or, you know, the mum guilt that I live with or the the hours of work that I have to put in. Because that's the side that's not commercialised or publicised or whatever. And and I think that's, that's the difference. It's understanding the reality of what you have to put in to get out what you put out. And the, the, what comes out is a huge reward. But what goes in is if it was as easy as getting a job, then I think more people would do it. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been amazing to hear all about your story. Where can people find out more about you? Yes, well, I set myself up a little website. 
sarah-davies.com I mean obviously Crafters Companion is our business you can read all about me and the backstory on there but uh, yeah we should maybe work on getting more information out about me and it's it's been wonderful the stuff we've been chatting about you've you've really turned over some stones that I haven't turned over in a lot of years <laughs> so I hope that's been inspirational even if it's just a couple of people out there have taken something away from it it's been amazing thank you so much my pleasure thank you This episode was brought to you by Clever Tykes Children's Storybooks. If you want to support the podcast and help share our ethos of inspiring, enterprising behaviour, head over to clevertykes.com and order a set of the storybooks to give to a child that you know.